We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Blue Wire. This is a story of two men who run. Not to run, but to prove something to the world. They will sacrifice anything to achieve their goals, except their honor. Welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire and now presented by BetOnline.ag. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. It's the second episode of Oscars Month, and we're coming full circle with this week's guest. About a year ago now, I premiered this podcast back when it was named Trouble with the Script with Remember the Titans. My first guest was my buddy, J.R. Hickey, uh, the host of Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, the Entourage podcast. J.R. is back this week to break down Chariots of Fire. JR is a great friend. He's been an incredible mentor to me in in this whole year doing this podcast. He's been extremely helpful, very encouraging. Uh, I love his podcast. If you are a fan of the HBO show Entourage, I highly recommend you check it out. He is doing an episode-by-episode recap. I listen to it every Monday. I was a big Entourage fan, you know, as a uh, as a white guy in the 2000s. Uh, that show was big for me. Uh, JR does a great job. It was great to finally have him back on this podcast. We talked about Chariots of Fire, the 1981 uh, Best Picture Oscar winner. Uh, JR did, uh, he, he participated in track, and he was a D-run track guy. He'll, he'll go into detail about that in the episode. He had some insight that, w- that was interesting about this one from a track and field perspective. This is a very non-traditional sports movie in the sense it is not rah-rah, you know, root, root, root for the home team, or it's a very much a character study, serious movie, uh, extremely British. There's a reason why it won Best Picture at the Oscars, at least the, you know, kind of what the Academy would see there. But it was an interesting movie to look at for Oscars month. Uh, There's definitely some good here. It's not quite as rewatchable as some of the other movies we're doing. 
but um, I was really I was really glad to cover it. Jared and I were both first time viewers, so uh, you know I hope you liked the episode. Definitely let me know what you think uh, on Twitter at big underscore screen sport or Instagram at big screen sports pod. If you've seen Chariots of Fire, if you're watching it for the first time, uh, def- definitely let me know what you thought of the uh, of the movie. Want to thank everyone who's given this show a five star rating in the past couple weeks. Uh, as you know, those five star ratings make the podcast world go round. They really help us out. Uh, so you know, thanks again. I've got a new review to read. I uh, I read all reviews at time of recording. Really appreciate those and hearing from you guys. Reviewer Tuttle A twenty four. I really love the pod. It starts great sports movie debates in the office. Great podcast. Very glad I came across it. I'm very glad you came across it as well. I appreciate the review. If you haven't yet, please go to your podcast app, tap that five-star rating, and leave a review if you so wish. Final bit of housekeeping, uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, February 11th, I am debuting an interview series that I have partnered with Baseball America on. It's called From Phenom to the Farm. It has its own podcast feed that you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. It's an interview series with uh, current and past professional baseball players who started their career out of high school, just getting their stories, their experiences of being an 18-year-old professional, you know, climbing through the the farm system, minor league life, etc. It's it's a passion project of mine. It's been in the works for a long time. Really excited about it. If you are a baseball fan or just a um, you know, just a sports fan, it's it's a really interesting look at the lifestyle of minor league baseball players. You know, go give it, go check it out, go subscribe. Um, you know, let me know what you think. It, it's something that I'm really excited about, really excited to be partnering with Baseball America on. So uh, after you finish this, go subscribe to that, listen to the trailer, and then check out tomorrow's first episode with uh, former Braves left-hander Eric O'Flaherty. With that, let's get to the second episode of Oscars Month, Chariots of Fire with my buddy J.R. Hickey. All right, my guest for this very special episode, he was my guest on the first episode of what was then known as Trouble with a Script, what is now known as Big Screen Sports, he is the host of Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, the Entourage podcast. The first thing I listen to every Monday morning, J.R. Hickey. J.R., thank you for, for coming back to Big Screen Sports. Crash Davis, it's good to be back. Thank you for having me. Man, I am, I'm excited for this, but before we get into the second episode of Oscar Month, tell the folks what you're doing with Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, and why I love it so much every Monday morning. <laughs> you, are, you are probably Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah's number one fan. Before I get into this, though, little sidebar, it's been one year now that Bidstream Sports has been on the airwaves, right? It's, yeah, it's been about a year. It was about a year ago that I was coming back from my honeymoon and you were like sending me this like idea that you had. And I, I came on for the first ever episode. We did Remember the Titans. And then you did this crazy lap where you had all these huge sports personalities, internet personalities, a couple comedians on. And then you ran out of people. And now here I am. <laughs> back yeah, at the I, front I of the line. I had to bring you back on. Uh, <laughs> I've had our, our good, our mutual buddy, Mike Camerlengo, on a few yep. times. Yep. It's been a fun year. I re-released our episode about a month back in December. Uh, listening to my low energy intro in that episode just made me want to just put my head through a wall. I can't believe that people are still listening after a year, but, uh, but somehow I've made it. Jared, your podcast has been around for, for over a year now. Yeah, we, uh, I believe we are going episode by episode through the acclaimed HBO dramedy Entourage, which still has a very rabid and very active fan base. I, I noticed a 
what's the word, a hole in the podcasting market, and that was in Entourage Recap Podcasts. There was none. There was none before you. Like, not even a little, which is weird because almost every other show on HBO has a serialized podcast recapping every episode. Started it last December, got brought on to Bro Bible's little podcast network in April, and yeah, every week I have a new comedian, actor, internet personality, or podcast host on, and we break down a new episode of Entourage every week. We are exactly at the halfway point of the show Season four at the midway point. There's eight seasons of the show. It's been a lot of fun. Kyle's been on three times, which shows how many times I've been like, oh, shit, dude, I don't have a desk this week. (laughs) I'm very much your in a jam guy. And uh, this episode that we're recording now comes out on uh, Monday, February 10th. You have an episode coming out that same day. Give me a sell the people on it. Sure. What's going on? What episode? Sure. That episode we are breaking down is episode five of season four it's called the dream team billy walsh e Vinny are trying to sell median to the studios ari's trying to find a new job for Vinny. they are contemplating taking the job lost in the clouds i know kyle i know all this stuff is like sparking like little like flares in your brain right now uh but for the listeners yeah. who might not know yeah. what i'm talking about it's it's just some real deep entourage nerd shit and um my guest this week is the host of the hilarious podcast, Brilliantly Dumb. His name's Robbie Berger, and he is the newest member of the Bro Bible Podcast Network. And I'm uh, excited to talk to him about the episode. It's going to be a fun time. Uh, drops on Monday morning, right alongside this episode. Well, I'll be listening, uh, but we are here to talk. The, this, it's the second episode of Oscars Month for Big Screen Sports. And we are, we're talking about a movie that is just, it's got to be the opposite of everything that Entourage is. <laughs> Uh, we're talking about Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire is the 1981 British historical drama. It tells the fact-based story of two athletes in the 1924 Olympics. Eric Little, a devout Scottish Christian who runs for the glory of God, and Harold Abrahams, an English Jew who runs to overcome prejudice. Starred Ben Cross, Ian Charleston, Nicholas Farrell, and Sir Ian Holm. Got an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. Grows $59 million worldwide. And for the purpose of Oscar month, it was nominated for seven Oscars with wins for Best Original Screenplay, Costume Design, Score, and somehow Best Picture. <laughs> this movie is le- really less about running competition and more about two men and their specific motivations and kind of mental struggles to compete in their sport. But uh, they run a lot in the movie, so it's a sports movie, I guess. J.R., I didn't ask you this in the first episode of, of what was then Trouble with the Script because I just didn't have this question at this point. What makes a good sports movie? That's, that's a good question. Um, first off, I, I, I keep divulging or diverting. Sorry, I keep diverting. Um, no better episode to have the host of the Entourage podcast on than for the British movie about faith and long distance Prim and running. proper British <laughs> running comedy. But real quick, break down, break down your uh, your background sure, for the yeah. folks. Why why it's good to have you on for a running movie? Yes, in in a former life, I was an all state track and field athlete in the state of Illinois. I was the number five high jumper in the state of Illinois back in two thousand and six. And I walked on to the DePaul Division I track and field team, where I quickly retired due to a back and hip injury. But at one time, I used to be pretty fast, and I competed at a decently 
high level. Um, I was not <laughs> this this movie is not about jumping, sadly. So I guess I'm just like the closest thing you have to jumping, someone. running, same thing. I'm a slow white guy. I just needed <laughs> someone who moved fast at some point in their life. I was a decent sprinter back in the day. I mean, I competed in high school in some of the sprints, but really, you, you saw me, you saw me start the track meet off by jumping over a bar a couple times and then going and sitting in the tent and eating like a bag of Skittles while everyone else ran. <laughs> bag of Skittles sounds great. Yeah. Jr. Okay. Sorry, what makes questions. a good sports? Yeah, what makes a good sports movie? You know, it's interesting. Um, good performances definitely make a good sports movie, which I think this movie has, and we'll dive into those as we get a little it bit does. further it down does. the line. Um, a, a real tension that's identifiable. So, like, oh, you know, some of the standard ones. Remember the Titans? It's like race prejudice. That's a tension that, like, universally people recognize. Um, underdog stories. There's a tension there. This one <laughs> might not have as much tension as you would initially think upon first viewing it. And then rooted in some sort of like actual happenstance or truth, Kyle, I did not know that this was a true story until after I watched it. Yeah, I had to do a deep dive on that. So I watched it and I didn't like do the Wikipedia IMDb thing before and I didn't want anything to be spoiled. I wanted to look at it with fresh eyes. And at the end of it, I was like, damn, that was a really boring story. And then I looked it up and I went, oh, that's because it actually happened. There's a ton of IMDb trivia for this one because so much of it, because it's, because it's a true story, Mm -hmm. uh, a true-ish story, I guess. I guess every movie that's based on a true story is a true-ish story. Sure. Um, before I ask, you know, is it a Hall of Famer, All-Star, Starter, Benchwarmer, Sports Film, I think we kind of talked about this before we started recording in that, it's really it's not a typical sports film in that this is objectively a good film, but I don't think you and I are checking out this film anytime soon or ever again. It is definitely not one that will ever be on my DVR and I will just kind of like have an hour to kill and kind of dip in on. It's never one that's going to be like on HBO and the program died and I'm going to oh, I wonder what part of Chariots of Fire is currently on the screen right now. Just... There isn't anything rewatchable about it, which is another podcast's coined phrase, but I, I it just in general lacked a lot, and um, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, so for you, is it a Hall of Fame, All-Star Starter, or Bench Warmer sports film? Okay, so as a sports film, I would say it's a starter for a couple reasons. At I the beginning, for the first, like, 30 minutes of this movie, Kyle, I have no idea who is who and what their relationships mean to each other, who runs for where, and who's rival with who. It's very confusing. It's 30 minutes on the dot that they get to the actual like plot and running rivalry. <laughs> it's very much just like setup and lots of dialogue, but not a lot of super leading you into what this movie is going to be about kind of dialogue. It's just a lot of setup, a lot of exposition. Most importantly, though, there's no real sense of competition in this movie. Everybody's rivals at one point, but then they're on the same side during the Olympics because they're all British. And then there's no real rival to the Brits. At one point, there's like a pretty funny scene with the Americans that we'll, we'll talk about, but they're never like painted as like big bad guys or there's no like, you know, central athlete on the Americans that you're trying to beat because you hate them. It just, in general, is very confusing upon first viewing as to, like, what the stakes are. And that's what makes it a below-average sports movie. 
Yeah, I mean, as a story, as a sports movie, it's it's definitely a starter at best. It's it's not very rewatchable. Last week we did Jerry Maguire, which is one of the more rewatchable just movies made in the you know the last thirty years. And this one is just nothing like that at all. Objectively, it's a very good film. It's very like well shot. It's fairly well acted. It's extremely British. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, as a sports film, it's 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 really not what you're looking for when you think sports film. And it's you know it's it's crazy to think it's one of the quote unquote sports films that's won that has won Best Picture. But in that, th- this movie beat out Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. For best picture and best score. Yeah. Actually. I mean, when you think about the the Indiana Jones, the, the Raiders score, the John Williams score, uh, is is this a travesty in your opinion? So I think I think the best picture thing is less of a tragedy than the music thing. And for a couple reasons. The the Academy has had a long tradition of rewarding like these very, very culturally relevant movies with best picture as opposed to the most popular movies at the time there's tons of examples goodfellas lost to dances with wolves saving private ryan lost to shakespeare in love little miss sunshine lost to the departed just kidding the departed is the best picture of the 20th century (laughs) (laughs) but really Uh, what's it uh jerry Maguire lost to uh the english patient yeah, I think the social network lost to, like, the King's speech. Like, you know, these these historical movies that, like, live in these, like, very up... Dude, there's no other way to describe it but, like, uppity white people movies. Like, that yeah. they win. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So so I, I don't hate it as much as I hate the John Williams score. The Raiders of the Lost Ark soundtrack music is so iconic in all of movies that, like... This guy, Vangelis, I don't even want to pronounce his last name, Papa Thanazogia, who did the music in the Chariots of Fire theme song, did not deserve to win best score. And the, I mean, it's a good score. It's it's effective, and it, it has endured. It is something that gets used. It got used at the 2012 Olympic Games. Yep. It's been spoofed in a bunch of movies. Uh, one of which I want to note later. I know but what it the, is. <laughs> yeah, but the but the Raiders score is just it's it. It's the Raiders of the Lost Ark score. Uh, I mean, it's up there with like Star Wars or Jaws or something like that. It's incredible. And that's where, not to get super like film nerdy, but like I, I will almost give the Academy a pass for not awarding Raiders as best picture because they've never awarded films like Raiders with best picture, but they have given best score to composers who compose music for sci-fi, fantasy, fiction type films like Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. So that's where it's more of a travesty to me. Yeah. On that note, let's let's go into the IMDb trivia. There's a lot. There's a there's an absolute ton if you want to check out IMDb for the full thing. I tried to just pull stuff that was kind of uh that was kind of relevant. Um Eric Little's four hundred meter victory in the nineteen twenty four Olympics, uh the, the one depicted in the movie was an Olympic record of forty seven point six seconds. Damn. Exciting the crowd with an unorthodox run. He ran the first two hundred meters in twenty two point two seconds, which many track experts considered tactically foolish because it was only point three seconds slower than his two hundred meter personal record. He actually increased his lead in the second half, beating the competition by nearly a second. You notice they kind of hint at that, like he's gonna do that, like the American coach is talking about it, like he's gonna tire out. Mm-hmm. But then they don't 
really kind of show that happening in the race. They just kind of run the race as is. They, I feel like they could have done a better job of emphasizing, like, oh, my God, he's not slowing down. Uh, What's funny yeah. about the 400-meter dash, and this is primarily for the people who have never competed in track and field, is that at, at, <clears throat> at any level, the 400-meter dash is the hardest race in all of racing because it is a continuous sprint for roughly 50 to 60 seconds. Um, it's one full lap around the track. And no matter how good a physical shape you're in, no matter, you could be the most, you could be a literal fucking racehorse, your body is going to shut down the last 10 to 15 seconds because no human being can sprint for a prolonged, for a prolonged amount of time longer than about 30 seconds. So... You see that when they round the corner in the Olympics. Even the top athletes in the world, they look like they're in shock because their bodies are shutting down on them. And that's why it's always considered one of the most grueling, most daring, and most impressive Olympic events to be like uh, top at. Yeah, they make reference to that um, before the race. Not yep. not as in-depth as that, but they do. But they just, the, the, the whole execution of it. Um, on the subject of Eric Little, uh, he was born in China, where his parents were missionaries. He returned as a missionary, which is something he, he says to his sister right before he goes to the Olympics. Uh, during the Japanese occupation of China, he was taken to the Japanese Weishin internment camp, where he died from a brain tumor just before the camp was liberated. Jesus. Which is, which is very sad. Super sad. Um, yeah. In real life, Eric Little introduced Harold Abrahams to Sam Musabini, who was the, the coach. Yep. And then, although it received a standing ovation when shown in competition at the 1981 Cannes Film Festival, Cannes, the uh, the site of one of my favorite Entourage episodes, which is upcoming in your coming podcast, up this season in about three four yes. weeks, they're trying to uh, did a ride to an all timer. Yep, an all timer. Yep. Yeah, this movie was mercifully mercilessly savaged by the French critics because it called the French the frogs yep. and an unprincipled lot. In order to prevent the negative critical response from hurting its international distribution. Roger Ebert lobbied, lobbied the other American critics in attendance to award it the American Critics Prize, which they did in a 6-5 to five vote. This marks the only time in the 60-year history of the festival that this award has been presented. Roger Ebert going to bat for Chariots of Fire. Roger Ebert, clearly a fan of insulting the French. Robert, <laughs> Roger clearly. Ebert hates French people. <laughs> he, Roger Ebert was 100% eating Freedom Fries uh, back in the day. Remember that shit? Yeah. Uh, um, this is something that they failed to mention in the movie. Harold Abrahams competed in the 1920 Olympics. He finished fourth in the 4x100 relay, 20th in the long jump, and was eliminated in the quarterfinals of both the 100-meter and 200-meter races. In the movie, they make it appear as though this is his first Olympics, first and only Olympics. Got it. Yeah, it does make it seem like he just like stepped out of school right into the Olympics and is kind of like a wide-eyed boy. So the Olympics depicted in this movie in Paris, he'd already been there. Like he'd already, this is a second go around, right? Second go around the Olympics. Yes. Does it say his um, long jump distance by any chance? Uh, not in the, not in the IMDB trivia. I copied and pasted. <laughs> Bet we could find it though. What's his name? Abrahams. Harold Abrahams. Harold uh, I tried to keep most of the trivia to like running and stuff having to do with either track or the movie's performance, but this I thought was really interesting. Uh, Ian Charlson wrote Eric Little's inspiring speech to the post-race working men's crowd. That uh, that scene in the in the beginning, mm -hmm. you know, when he's out in like out in Scotland or out in the hills or whatever. Uh, Charlson had been studying the Bible in preparation for the role. Told, told director Hugh Hudson that he didn't feel the scripted sanctimonious 
and portentous speech was either authentic or inspiring. Charleston was uncom- uncomfortable with performing the words as scripted. He decided that Charleston should write the words he was comfortable speaking, and thus came the most inspiring speech of the movie. It's a very good and well-acted scene, a very good speech. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting. Abraham's longest long jump was 24 feet and about three inches, which is very impressive for someone <laughs> someone doing for someone it in doing that before before World War Two. <laughs> yes, yes. Holy shit. Um, sorry, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, producer David Putnam arranged a screening of this movie for Eric Little's widow. Afterwards, she said she loved the movie and that it fully captured her husband's character. However, she felt that the only thing they got wrong was that her husband was a much more graceful runner that was shown. Putnam uh, was astonished. She said the only thing that they really knew about Little when making the movie was his running style from, a news, from newsreel films of the era. The one thing he was fully confident they got right was the one thing Mrs. Little felt was wrong. Oh, and wow. I, I have some thoughts about his running style. Yeah. Uh, when, when we get to that. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the real Eric Little found out about the 100 meter heat being held on a Sunday several months in advance of the Paris games, uh, as opposed to when he's getting on the boat to head to Paris, as depicted in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, 40 minutes were cut from this movie at the <laughs> insistence of 20th Century Fox. And holy shit, I can only imagine how boring those 40 minutes were. And the assistance and the insistence of podcast hosts in 2020 everywhere. Like, this movie could easily be an hour and 15 minutes long and be perfectly, oh, 100%. perfectly full action. 100%. Um, JR, let's take a quick break here from our sponsors and then we'll get back with Best Scene. Big Screen Sports is presented by BetOnline.ag, and it is time for a BetOnline.ag pick of the month. BetOnline.ag is your online sportsbook expert. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for a 50% off welcome bonus. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I am a diehard Minnesota Twins fan. And while it, it has been a very long time since they won even a postseason game, uh fortunes are high right now they just uh we we just picked up kent maeda finally finalized that deal as of recording tonight and for the first time in so long this team is legitimately going for it uh i have been a twins fan my entire life and it it has always been we've always been a small market team uh we we make our hay through drafting smart uh you know crafty rule five picks picking up you know guys like johan santana um you know the occasional savvy trade the occasional free agent one year pickup and and this year is completely different um ownership has now seen a window and are deciding to go for it they signed josh donaldson they win the josh donaldson bidding war uh, pick up Homer Bailey and Rich Hill on on some savvy one year deals. I think I think we're gonna get a combined good starter season out of those guys. And now this Kenta Maeda deal to bolster the rotation, give us a better shot to win in the playoffs. We see a window. Twins are going for it. We got a lot coming back. That rotation's gonna be better. Lineup's gonna be better. Maybe get a healthy year out of Byron Buxton, at least 120 games. You can get the Twins right now for plus thousand to win the American League. That is that is incredible. That is the same odds that they're giving the angels and the angels stink the angels are not going to make the playoffs you can mark that down we it's a down american league the red sox just traded their best player the indians traded Corey kluber in the offseason the astros are it's it just a, a shitstorm over there so my bet uh pick of the month 
is going to be the Minnesota Twins plus 1,000 to win the American League. This year's the year, folks. Take that advice, lock that in at betonline.ag. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% off welcome bonus at betonline.ag. Big Screen Sports is also presented by Untuck It. Have you ever seen an untucked button down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, which is hands down my favorite clothing brand, my favorite shirt brand. The original button-down shirt that's actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 fit combinations, untucked shirts look great on tall guys, short guys like me, slim guys, and athletic guys of all ages. Untuck it fits me perfect. Um, I actually I was at Medieval Times with uh, my fiance and her family this past Saturday. Worn untucked flannel. I look great, cheering on my favorite night. I don't remember the color, but it was a great time. I looked awesome. My untucked flannel just fit me perfectly, both with the arm length and just how it, it's tailored to my figure. It's not billowing out. I'm kind of a shorter, slimmer guy. Um, they're just the perfect shirts. You can choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-down, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts are never gonna look baggy, bulgy, too long, too big again. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It's the way to go. Visit untuckit.com, use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. All right, let's get into the, uh, the, the best scenes of this movie. It was... Kind of slim pickings, honestly. Um, there, there's certain stuff that, that, again, it's just not your typical sports movie in terms of like you know scenes that are it, it's just not typical. Uh, I had the running the great Trinity, the running the Trinity Great Court Run, where uh-huh. Abraham's and that other guy whose name I can't even remember do the uh, the loop around the, the the courtyard, and you realize, hey, this guy can run a little bit. Yeah. Um, Little winning that race after being pushed down and catching yeah. up to all those guys, which is which is kind of sick. That actually uh, happened, the, according to IMDb. Yes, yes. Uh, the race that Abraham's loses to Little, and he has a, the, this great quote. It might be my favorite quote of the movie. He says, I don't run to take beatings, and that kind of spurs him to start working with that coach. Mm-hmm. I had to look for him. It's absolutely fundamental. You never look. He was ahead. There was nothing you could have done. He won fair and square. Well, that's that, Abrahams. Well, if you can't take a beating, perhaps it's for the best. I don't run to take beatings. I run to win. If I can't win, I won't run. Which is, I think is a good, like, it's kind of a funny, like, a thoughtful quote from an athlete. Like, you don't play sports to get beat. Yeah. I mean, I didn't I didn't pitch in college to get beat, but that sure didn't work out. <laughs> um... <laughs> The uh, the training montage between Abrahams and Sam, his, his trainer. That's not until fifty four minutes into this movie. God. We don't get like a, a training montage. Could have I if I had been on the uh, the cutting room floor there, I would have I would have made some made some cuts. Um, the scene where Abrahams meets the two head guys at the college, you start to knock him for using a coach, and Abrahams. Uh, or he kind of he kind of sees it as them as is anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Ben Cross, who played Harold Abrahams, I think he was at his best in a scene. You kind of see that like simmering anger and how much yeah. it frustrates him. Uh, we'll, we'll go on about him more, but he was he was excellent. I I, um, I enjoyed his performance. 
Yeah, and then uh, and then the the next scene I have is when he's getting his massage when Sam is is rubbing him down before the uh, before the race. But it's again, it's it's Ben Cross being really good. It's it's really the biggest look at his entire motivation in the film. He says ten seconds to justify my whole existence. Yeah, which is like he's really got all his eggs in this basket. He's put he's like tied his entire sense of self worth into this race and with all the work he's put in. And like win or lose, his identity is going to change, and he's going to be he's going to be grappling with that. And you see that after he wins. Um, but I feel like it's probably the same way for a lot of Olympic athletes. You get one shot every four years, and your identity is completely tied into you're an Olympic gold medalist or you're not you're not an Olympic medalist. Aubrey, old chap, I'm scared. Sam and I, we labored, rowed, and bullied for this day in day out you've seen us chuckled over us i'll be bound out in all weathers madmen and for what i was beaten out of sight in the 200 then that paddock tricked me in the semi now in one hour's time i'll be out there again i'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor Four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? Aubrey, I've known the fear of losing. But now I'm almost too frightened to win. Well, and I'll stretch that out a little farther, and I think that it stands for most track and field athletes, especially if you're a if you're a one trick pony like I was. Uh, I, my whole personality was tied to the fact that I could jump high and the fact that one day I jumped higher than the next or next week I need to jump higher than the other guy. And it was just this weird mentality that like was very hard to deal with as a 16, 17, 18, 19 year old. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that my fucking sport was hard or that I you know had it harder than other people, but track and field is very mental and it's kind of like you just said, encapsulated here, and that this guy's like, this is all I have to live for, and it's going to be decided in 10 seconds. The intensity, the, like, think about a baseball game, Kyle. At least you have three hours to, like, you know, know that you have to perform well. You get well. to ease into it. Yes. Yes. Feel out your opponent, see what's working, you know, read the defense a little bit. Like, man, that's it's over, man. It's over. Yeah, it's kind of uh, something that's that's been hot on the streets lately that everyone's been watching is Cheer on Netflix. <laughs> And they do their whole their whole year of preparation for a two minute and either like fifteen second or two minute and thirty second routine in Daytona. Cheer that's is crazy. great. Everyone should watch Cheer. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's kind of the same thing. That that's why I thought the scene was really good. I thought it was like the it's really the only that and the the one where he's talking to uh, to his girlfriend or whatever about you know post race. It's it's really the only time you see his psyche and his motivation. That Ben Cross is he's extremely effective in this role. Um, I, I think he's the best part of the movie. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but um, that goes into his his hundred meter dash win. Uh, for a movie that's not as much about the sports, they do an excellent job setting it up and building suspense. It's almost kind of like an eerie score before the race kicks off. Yeah, um, I like how they did all that, and you get to see Sam see the British flag go up from the window of that little apartment, mm-hmm. and that was just that was fantastic. And then I guess uh, Little's race. Was good too. 
Yeah. Um, th- that's what that's what I had. Did you have a, a favorite scene out of this one? You've named a lot of the good scenes. I will. There's one little one that I, I just liked personally. So this is the guy whose name you couldn't think of earlier that races Abrahams in the uh, courtyard of Cambridge. Uh, his name's yeah. Lord Andrew Lindsay. They call him Lord Lindsay throughout Lord most of the Lindsay. movie. Lord Lindsay, very yes. British. <laughs> couldn't be more British if he. Uh, yeah, it's fucking crazy. Um, Lord Lindsay is doing hurdles on his massive lawn at one oh, point. Oh god, that was the richest thing I saw all movie. And it, he's like in bare feet doing hurdles. He's got like his butler there helping him, and every hurdle has a martini glass filled with water on the end of it, so that he like if he hits. The hurdle, the martini glass is going to fall, which I thought was a really cool, like, little nod to, like, very old school training techniques because that shit still goes on in track and field. I still, like, I used to have to do, like, uh, backflips over, like, a rubber band so I didn't, like, land on my spine on this, like, hard bar. And so, like, there's just, like, really cool, like, DIY ways to make yourself a better track and field athlete. And that, that reminded me of that. And that's one of the scenes that really jumped out at me. Yeah, the training stuff was interesting. You get um you get that, you get Abraham's training with Sam. You also get the Americans when they arrive in Paris. <laughs> you get their little like mini boot camp thing. Yeah. Uh which is it, it was like kind of like an old newsreel infomercial of like these are the finest strapping young men in America here to compete at the Olympics. Like you just you just could hear that in the background of them doing all those workouts. Hundred percent. I think my favorite scene was weirdly him getting the massage, <laughs> his, his pre race rubdown. It, it's a really like interesting, um, vulnerable speech from an athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know I, you know I, I normally I pick like a, a sports scene in these movies, but I really think that was it because uh, again this movie was more about personal motivations and, and mental struggles as opposed to, you know, the actual sport, actually winning the gold medal. Um, that was a little subdued. JR, what was the the most authentic and least authentic sports-centric parts of this movie for you as a, as a track guy? Sure. I mean, I think we, you mentioned it earlier, but I think the most authentic sports stuff was a lot of the running tips that Musabini was giving Abrahams. They still stand up. Stay light on your toes, take shorter strides while sprinting, high knees. These are all, like, very basic, like, running mechanic stuff that still, like, hold true. Honestly, though, like, in terms of least authentic, there wasn't a lot, like, that stood out to me. Now, a couple of their running form was, like, a little questionable, but, you know, I did some research on the movie as well. As you know, Kyle, a lot of the actors, all the actors were unknown guys. They all were kind of natural athletes, and they all underwent a grueling three-month training regimen with a renowned running coach. So them training and being isolated from the rest of the cast and crew gave them this like strong bond, this strong camaraderie, and made them look and run like Olympic athletes. The only thing that jumped out at me as being particularly bad is when Abrahams loses to Little in the 100-meter dash from the first time they competed against each other. Little is like, I'm sorry, Abrahams is like flailing and upright and head back and scowling like a third of the way down the straightaway, which of course he lost because you're not supposed to run that way. You're supposed to be leaning forward, head down, eyes straight ahead. So just like this, there's this like thing where they keep showing this image of him flailing around like he's getting shot as he's running down the straightaway. And it just very, it looks very unnatural. No Olympic-level sprinter would run that way. It's like they made it overly obvious that he needed a coach to work on his mechanics with him. 
Exactly. But, I mean, maybe they had to do that for the movie. Yeah, I mean, you, you could, because, like, a, a simpleton wouldn't have known if, if his mechanics were just a little bit off. Someone, someone not, like me, someone not just well-versed in, in track mechanics, so they really went above and beyond. I For, like, most authentic, I really just kind of had the the same thing it's more the the mental abraham's mental outlook at running yeah. kind of that thing we already talked about i i thought that that was good that they kind of put that in the movie and and made that a key factor i didn't have anything for least i thought uh i don't i don't know little's uh little's running expressions i don't think i've ever seen anyone run <laughs> that uh and, and do that with their mouth and their face it's very expressive. This is, podcast isn't a visual medium, but I, I wish anyone who's seen this movie, I wish you could see what what I'm seeing in my head right now. It's just very, very, uh, very expressive face. It's interesting because they tell you to relax your face, and when you're when you're running like that, you're breathing very deeply through both your nose and your mouth at the same time. It's to slow down your heart rate and it's to oxygenate your oxygenate. Is that a word? Oxygen. Uh, we'll count it. We'll sure. count it. Let's survey. Count it. Survey says. Yeah, count it. <laughs> And it's to oxygenate your blood through both your nose and your mouth. So, like, a lot of people make these really wide-eyed, open-mouth expressions as they run, and and Little kind of nails that, to be honest with you. So I didn't think it was too unrealistic, Crash. So that's that's why I needed you on this podcast. I needed an expert. (laughs) I didn't have that in my repertoire. I didn't. I didn't. uh, I, I didn't have the expertise. Um, let's get into to what worked about this one. And, you know, this isn't just sports specific. It can be what worked as a film. This film did win Best Picture. Yeah. Um, objectively, it's very good. Again, it's not something, if it's on TV, I'm probably just going to go find an episode of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives and watch that. With my good but, friend, uh, Guy Fieri. <laughs> yes, yes, your your interview buddy. Uh, my my dear Lord and Savior, Guy Fieri. What worked about, about this one for you? So... Cambridge, like, trying to punish their athlete, Abrahams, for getting outside help. It's a lot like the NCAA sanctioning their athletes for getting new sneakers, a Hummer, $12,000 The NCAA would have been fucking pissed at Abrahams. <laughs> You're getting professional help from a professional? That makes you a professional banned two years. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, NC, that's the NCAA's favorite part in this movie. You asked, like, Mark Emmert, what's your favorite part of Chariots of Fire? I, I like when the school got on him about that professional help. He's yeah. an amateur. Yeah, that's it. That's mine. <laughs> that, that's everything for what worked? <laughs> yeah. I had a few more. Uh, the theme song, it, yeah. it, I mean, it's... It's fire. It's iconic. Yeah, it, yeah, it's iconic. It's something that is has lasted, you know, 40-plus years. And I, I think you, you know where I'm going. The best the best use of it is in old school. Yes. <laughs> when Frank the Tank is doing his, his, his floor routine or whatever that is in the competition. And then it cuts to Vince Vaughn's character, Beanie, hanging from the double rings with a cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> and he's Just going, I'm still holding. Thing. I'm still holding. <laughs> The best, the best image. Might have to. Uh, I think. Uh, I think our our buddy Mike Camerlingo needs to break down that. Oh yeah. Honestly, where is Mike on that'd old be, school? <laughs> that'd be a great. We're gonna have to message him when we're done with this. Yeah. Um, something else that worked. This movie was filled with very good uh, acting performances. Yeah. Um, ben Cross, who played Abraham's, like we said, he was excellent. He's great in every scene. I thought he was the most compelling character. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't as dialed into little. Uh, I, I thought Abraham's was definitely the more interesting character to me, um, and it, that might just be because of because of Ben Cross. He was very dynamic. It's kind of surprising that he wasn't um, wasn't bigger. 
yeah. after this. Um, Ian Charleston, who played Little, was really good. Um, he is he he's known for his work on the stage. He's also known as the uh, first British entertainment figure who who publicly acknowledged died of AIDS. Oh which wow, is rather dubious honor. Yeah, he passed away in 1990. And then um, Musabini Sam, oh, played yeah. by Surian Holm. A.K.A. Bilbo Baggins. That's what I was going to say. Dude, the dude has like 150 credits to his name. He's like an acting legend. He's in one of my favorite rewatchable movies ever, which is Day After Tomorrow. Oh, yeah. When that Classic. is on TV, it I always turn it on. Always, always, always turn it on. Excellent movie. He's also in Ratatouille. The, yeah, I'm looking at his IMDb right now. Oh, man. The Aviator. Yeah, he's, in a, he's in a lot of shit. Fantastic. A lot of shit. He's in uh, Hostel Part 2, which has <laughs> scarred me for life. <laughs> Um, this movie also has tons of British politeness. It's potentially the most polite and proper oh movie God. ever covered on big screen sports. Yeah, pretty much. Extremely British. So this is the every I, I don't this is gonna stereotype a bit. These dudes have the pointiest fucking faces on the planet. A lot of angles, a lot of yeah. cheekbones, a <laughs> lot of sharp noses. A lot of chin. There's not a lot of pudge in this movie. Yeah. Well they're runners. Just you can't have a fat runner on the team. <laughs> yeah. There's just there's just angles. Uh, the last thing I have that worked that I enjoyed about this movie, I thought the retro look at the Olympics was honestly pretty cool, especially we have the Summer Olympics coming up this year. This year, right? Or am I, am I wrong about that? Yeah, because it's every it's on the – yeah, 2020. I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought the retro look at the – like what the Olympics was, it was kind of cool. Like the, I, we get to see those opening ceremonies and everything. I thought that was kind of interesting. You saw like one banner advertisement hanging along like the track. It was for like Lipton Tea. Which, like, these days there's an ad, like, disrupting your view and experience, like, every point three seconds on every single medium. Like, that was cool to you're see. Made, you're made very well aware that, like, Polo Ralph Lauren is designing the yep. U.S. uniforms exactly. and, and everything like that. Yeah, it was much more, uh, much more low-budget Olympics that they showed us. Agreed. Jared, let's get into what didn't work. <laughs> Is your is your list a little longer? I think it's a little longer than my what works. Okay, hit me with um, it. Um, why was there so much singing in this movie? A lot of singing. I think that I was thinking about that too. I think that is a boredom thing. I think yeah. back then you just had to find shit to fill the time. That you just like you smoked cigarettes, you drank, and you sang. There is like probably six different instances of this group of British men or a choir or a separate group of British men just breaking out into song in public places. And this is not a musical. There are no music numbers in this movie. It's just you're sitting there watching these men sing going, what is the fucking point of this scene? <laughs> yeah, there's Abraham's just absolutely rocking it as a piano man on the boat over to yep. the Olympics. I, yep. I just think it is... I mean, it, you need something to fill the time. It's before, it's Everything. really before radio. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely before TV. Um, I, I, I read a lot of World War II books, and they were talking, like, I, I've reread the, the Banner Brothers book a million times. Uh -huh. They were talking about when they were riding through the French countryside that they were, like, singing the whole way. Like, <laughs> when, when things were, like, things were, like, a little better, like, toward the end, they're, ri they're riding back through the French countryside in train cars. And they're they're just like singing, and like now you just be like scrolling Twitter. Yep, exactly. So I th I think it was just more of a time filler as everything, because like if they weren't singing, like what are they gonna do? Just look at each other's cheekbones. There's really <laughs> not much else to do. Look at each other's cheekbones and bad teeth. Yeah, I've got something that didn't work. Uh, Jenny, sure. Eric's sister, thank you. Sucks. Thank Jenny you. Jenny sucks. She is such a buzzkill. Oh that was my, my that was my next one. 
awful. I mean, I'm not knocking her religion or her devoutness, but asking her brother to give up his damn dreams to go immediately spend his life in China as a missionary, which he, he ended up doing anyways. Like, she is just exhausting with this shit. Fucking cut it out, Jenny. Fucking cut it out. Take a chill pill. You can, someone can do two things. So, I thought she was his wife the whole time <laughs> until I did the research <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> I really did. Like, I just thought it was like they were like a very religious couple, which they are, and they had a very kind of religious relationship. You know, she's like, don't touch me, don't look at me, you know, and he's kind of like trying to be nice to her and she's like very standoffish. But it makes it even weirder that she's his sister because I'd be like, if my sister was like, hey, come do this, I'd be like, fuck you, no. <laughs> like, did mom tell you to tell me that? Like, I'm not going to do that. Like, uh, it's And it's also a little bit of a bad stereotype. Like, the drab female character who's, like, suppressing the main protagonist from his dream because she wants him to go do something that, like, nobody cares about. Well, it's just tough looks for women in general in this film because Sybil, who is Abraham's love interest extremely unaware of anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah, She's like, just... things are fine now. Like, that's, no one cares about that. <laughs> like, to tw- like Hitler comes to power in like, six years like and she's just like no that shit's that's water under the bridge that happened in egypt you're fine you'll be fine you and your family and all your aunts and uncles and relatives they'll all be fine (laughs) yeah there was a there was some imdb trivia he was actually dating someone else during the he he met sybil like 10 years later got it she the, the character was based on whoever he was dating at the time but him and his his actual wife Sybil ended up taking in Jewish refugees during World War II. So that Sybil, she she understood what anti-Semitism was all about. This Sybil, just clueless. Completely yeah. clueless. Did you have anything else that didn't work about this? I mean, besides, we talked about it, the pace takes forever to get going. Well, and also, here's something I always thought about this movie. I always thought that that iconic theme song that plays at the beginning of the movie when all the boys are running down the beach and at the end of the movie when all the boys are running down the beach i thought that song played at like the climax of the movie i thought it i played... was ready for that to hit during the hundred meter dash exactly I was like, dude like fist pump like fucking yeah. give it to me but that's when nowhere. that song should have like they played immediately and you're like oh that's weird that's like the song everyone knows from this movie maybe it comes back in like the So in general, so and I think this is just, I want to try to keep this as short as possible. I didn't understand why we were just watching like four teammates competing separately in their individual events. That's what didn't make any sense to me. That's why I don't consider this a good sports movie. I needed some competition. I needed Little and Abrahams to hate each other. I needed them to like have an arch rival on the American team or something. Or just acknowledge each other because there's really almost none of that at the Olympics. Like that whole thing just goes away. Like Abrahams is more like, I need to be as fast as that guy. And Little is like, I don't fucking care about anything. Yeah. Like it's just like, there's really nothing. And yeah, they don't, like you're not something a good sports movie does is it makes you buy into the athletic pursuits for better or worse of its characters of the people on court or the coaches. And aside from Abraham's, you really feel Abraham's desire to win. And that whole speech with it's his whole existence with everyone else. There's really not that you're not that dialed in to, to what they're doing. 
Um, Little is just honestly so unbeatable throughout the film that you don't feel any worry that he's going to lose. Yeah. And you don't know how much like winning actually means to him as opposed to just the act of running. And maybe that's the point of it for him. Um, but yeah, as, as far as as far as them getting you bought into everything that's going on, I think Abraham's 100 meter dash is the only time where I'm like, oh, I really hope this guy pulls this one out. Yeah, completely agree. And the one who I thought like, well, the one who I cared the least about was, the, I guess he's considered the main character, the guy riding home to his mom, Aubrey Montague. He's the pointy yeah, chin yeah. fuck who like loses in the steeplechase in the Olympics. Like, I, I mean, could... you're gonna have to you're gonna have to specify the pointy chin fuck. Everyone <laughs> in this movie, but he's just like the guy who's like sad the whole time and like like keeps looking lustily at like his British teammates and is doing the, like, VO of the movie. I, I couldn't give a shit about your your steeplechase race, Montague. I'm here for Little. I'm here for Abrahams. Everyone else, get the fuck out. And the reason that he was the narrator was his, the, the real-life guy's son provided letters mm-hmm. that they had, they had saved, his letters from that time to the director, the writer of the movie. And that's that's a lot of what they they kind of base these things off. But yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't dialed into that guy at all. Because Couldn't in have cared real life, if he competed, yeah, in real life, he wrote a letter home to his mother every single day. That just shows how bored these fucking guys were. They just, I mean, it, it was either that he's like, well, I could sing some more, or I could <laughs> write a letter home to my mom. If I wrote a text I mean, message oh, to my mother God. every day. She'd be like, why are you texting me so much? What do you want? <laughs> She'd block your number. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the the Kevin Costner and Freddie Prince Jr. awards for best and worst on-screen athlete. And I, I brought a track and field guy on. You got to tell me. You yeah. watch these guys run. What's the verdict? I mean, so overall, I don't think anybody on the main crew had terrible running form. I, I wasn't also wasn't trying to be nitpicky because I'm like, well, this took place in the 20s, so like... It's, they're probably going to look a little weird no matter what. Um, we talked about that way back when with Remember the Titans. There's like that sliding scale that a year into doing this podcast I've never, I haven't named. But it's like <laughs> action in 2020, athletic action needs to look much better. It's just a just a descending scale all the way back to 1924 when yeah. like if if people could even like run at all, they're they're looking athletic. I will say, and I, I brought him up earlier, but uh, Lord Lindsay, him doing the hurdles, that's pretty perfect high hurdle form when he's doing the 110 high hurdles and gets, I think, silver at the Olympics. I thought that was impressive. That is not an easy technique to learn and or perfect. So, like, I liked that. Honestly, like, pal, I could teach you good running form in an afternoon, but I couldn't teach you how to run the high hurdles in a month. So, I, I would say I don't think my body would allow for the high hurdles. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I would say him, uh, him, and he's tied with Abraham's because Abraham's just kind of looked like that, like gritty, smoldering, you know, win or die trying athlete type. But I think I think they tie for the Kevin Costner award. Yeah, I thought Abraham's looked the part. I mean, again, I'm no, I'm not a running savant, but I, I thought I thought Ben Cross looked the part. And that's the um, point. Like you, you know, there aren't that many runners who are watching this critically. So like you, someone who doesn't run, thinks they looked the part. It's a good part. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Um, the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. I have one nominee, and it's the winner. And you really have no say in this. It's Serene Holm. It's Sam Musabini. He yes. was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but I thought he was great. That's who I Excellent. put. That's who I put. Musabini. 
played by Bill really Bob the Adams. only supporting the only supporting guys are you know uh Abraham's boys and they're so inconsequential honestly yeah those guys who showed up at the beginning and then showed up at the end those guys in their like blazers yeah I mean yeah it's really like Musabini it's not going to be Jenny yeah who, oh, we've God. already talked about Jenny it's not going to be Sybil it's really um yeah, it's really Musabini. He's great. He's he's you know I, I like the the scene. I didn't put it in the best scenes, but the scene in, in the bar mm-hmm. after Abraham's has won the gold medal and they're just kind of there talking. That's an excellent scene. That's part. That's that's a scene that is like that, that's part of that's on the Oscar reel. I think. Yeah. I will give a special shout out to the old guy on the Olympic committee who gives little a hard time about not wanting to run on the Sabbath, like. Do you remember? I don't know. The old guy is just yeah, like harumph, when they're like, when they're kind of when they're putting the, uh, the when they're putting the pressure on that guy's he's pissed. He's, he's, he's not so buttered. <laughs> not having it at all. He's so um, old school British. Like he, you know, he saw the beginning of the crown. <laughs> you know, he was he oh hundred yeah, and he he's stone cold too. That yeah. man is he he lived as he 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 never shed a tear. Yeah, he belongs in life. the bank scenes in Mary Poppins. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, perfect. Absolutely. Um, let's get to the big chill. Uh, it's that the moment. I, it's the the Roy Hobbs knocking out the lights in the natural moment. I'm not sure there's one in this movie. I have two nominees. Um, if there is one, I, I really think it's it's Sam seeing the British flag go up because yeah. he can't. Is, was he banned from the track? No, he said thing? he won't go and watch. It's like that old sports movie adage. Like, all right, I've. I've gotten you to this point. Now you just go out and do it. And I, I can't bear to witness what the results are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, it, but he, he sees the flag go up from the window. He knows that Harold's won. He sits down and he's like, Harold, you know, my boy like that. That was very, that was, that might've been chill inducing. Might not yeah. have gotten all the hairs on the back of my neck to stand up, but like one or two, they kind of poked up and they're like, Oh, what's that? Um, and then I, I think little winning his race, uh, but again, I don't know how bought in I was to him actually winning the race. So, you know, say like the the same thing with Little and Abraham's winning their races. But I don't know; it wasn't like chill inducing, especially the way they filmed it. So, I, for me, it's Sam seeing the British flag go up. Did you have anything else that I missed? So I will say it's Little, but not when he wins the race. It's when he tapes off out of the out of the blocks. Well, I actually didn't have blocks. He like digs a hole with a shovel. Yeah, with crazy. the little, yeah, the little, uh, yeah, the, that little thing. But uh, you know, as much as we hate the Jenny character, as he's running, there's a quote that really brought some chills to my spine. And he's talking. It's just like a VO while he's running. You know, uh, the 400 meter dash around the track. He says, "Jenny, I believe God gave me a purpose, but He also made me fast." And I think that's really cool. I think that's a really well-written line and really kind of encapsulates, like, the mentality of him. He's like, listen, like, I've been put on this earth to spread God's word in countries far and wide, but I also can beat a motherfucker on a tr- on a track. <laughs> and I, I like that. Like, it, it just is a very simple, principled guy. And uh, it was good. He was the original Tim Tebow. Yeah. <laughs> You know, God put it. God put Tebow on Earth to to spread His word, but He also made him able to run an Urban Meyer offense very mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Jarrett, would this movie make a good thirty for thirty? You know what? It will. You know, it it did occur in in real life, so it's it's not a you know. Would it? Would it? If they made a documentary about this, would you watch it? 
Surprisingly, yes, and that's because it's a true story. It would have been a thirty for thirty would have been more entertaining than the movie. Just everything, the I production agree. quality, I the think music, so too. the interviews. It just would have been it would have been quicker. You know, a thirty for thirty is an hour as opposed to this two hour and fifteen minute slog that we just sat through. And made now, I think they could really highlight a little more of the anti Semitism yep. and shit that Harold Abraham's heard. Yeah. I think they could really lean much more into that now. And give us an idea as to just how fast these motherfuckers were because they're fast dudes. I'm looking at their times and, like, these are, like, numbers that, like, to this day would still stand up if it weren't for steroids, which we'll get to. (laughs) The, um, yeah, the, the thing that's almost, like, where my sense of running history starts is Jesse Owens hops on the scene in 1936 in the Berlin Olympics. Yeah. So they're, like, 10 years before that. It's funny because um, did you notice in the American like scene that you saw one African American guy doing a lawn jump? Yeah, and it, then it's just a bunch of white guys. Like it's the only African American person you see in this entire movie. You see him for a split second, and I actually thought to myself, I was like, I wonder if that's Jesse Owens. <laughs> it it is almost a shame that they weren't around at the same because it would have given sort of we yeah. have more of a historical way to look at it because Jesse Owens is such an iconic figure. Exactly. JR, how would you improve this movie? <laughs> I think we've covered a lot of the bases. Quicker paced is just probably the overarching one. I mean, the movie's 40 years old, so and I want some actual tension and competition. There's no true competition, and that's probably what makes me think so low of it. Like I I, I don't I don't care about watching four British guys accomplish their own individual goals separately and in order. That's all the movie is. And then it ends and then they're just like, wow. We did it, and then they die. Like that's yeah, not... it's like super. It's super well done, but not. It doesn't give you any investment. Yep. With that being said, you said this movie's forty years old. We're gonna introduce a new new category that I thought of. You named, <laughs> so it's fitting that we do it on the, the first time in an episode with you. This is before more or restore. Would you rather <laughs> see a prequel of this movie, a sequel of this movie? Or a remake of this movie. So really quick, just some background on me. My day job is I'm a I'm a head writer at an ad agency in San Francisco. So I write like slogans and catchphrases and fucking taglines for uh, companies. So you texted me and you know I have this idea for this category and I just typed I just typed back restore more or whatever the hell it's called and was like, boy, this is my worst work I've ever done. <laughs> and I saw it and I was like, yes, this is it. That's the name. <clears throat> Okay, so the essence of the category is would I rather see a prequel, a sequel, or a remake of this? Yes. Well, it, taking out the fact that it's a true story, a remake is what I want to see. Like, I want to see it, but I want some real characters in it. I want one guy who's on HGH. Hell, I want all of them to be on HGH. I want, Hell yeah. I want, like... Someone, you know, if we're going to deal with race and persecution, I want someone to be real bad, just to give it some real fucking fire. Like, I don't know, man, just stakes, tension, drama, all the stuff that makes a good sports movie, Chariots of Fire does not have. <laughs> I, would, I would like to see the sports movie version of, the, of exactly. this story. Because it's, it's really not. It's not the sports movie version. It's like the prim and proper British version. And sadly, this is like one of the only running sports movies. That's why you had me on for this. There are like one or two other 
Like, there's a Jesse Owens movie, I'm sure. Like, I just there. It came out recently with Jason Sudeikis. I've not seen. Oh, that's it, right. I'm sure he's the coach. Of this podcast. He's... I will have to. <laughs> yeah, have me back. No, don't have me on for that one, please. I'm so... <laughs> You're already booked. <laughs> you can't do anything about it. Uh, yeah, man. I think we're in agreement here. Yeah, I think a, a sports movie version of this story. It's an interesting story. Yeah. Um. I, you know they they just could have done a uh, could have done a better job with it, uh, at, at least in terms of making it rewatchable. I, I'm sure that I'm sure the creators don't regret making a movie that was nominated for seven Oscars and won four, uh, and we're just a bunch of idiots on a sports movie podcast. But Jr., thank you so much for coming on, sitting through this movie uh, that that thankfully was on HBO now, and you didn't have to pay for it. That <laughs> I would have felt very bad if you did. But tell the folks again where they can follow you on social media and where they can find Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah. Sure. I am at JR Will Do It on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow the Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah Instagram and Twitter accounts at Oh Yeah Pod. Listen to us break down a new Entourage episode every Monday morning from here until fucking forever. Um, this has been a blast, Crash. Thanks for having me on. It's always good to talk to you. Of course, man. It's great to have you. We're, we're going to have to do this again soon. And if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave a five-star rating, and if you so wish a review, let me know what you think. Uh, the Oscars might be over, but we are rolling ahead with Oscars Month. Uh, next week, we are doing Field of Dreams, the Kevin Costner classic uh, with Brian Gill from Mad About Movies who we had on about a month and a half ago. Uh, going to be a great episode, really looking forward to it. Uh, also, please, if you're a baseball fan, check out From Phenom to the Farm, a interview series presented by Baseball America, which I am presenting tomorrow, uh, February 11th. Please be sure to check that out, and we will catch you back on Big Screen Sports next Monday. Thanks. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.